0: This is the 10 Q&A, the Temple 10 Q's monthly podcast. The Temple 10 Q is the voice of, by, and for Temple Law School's business law community. Today on the podcast, we have Randy Maniloff. Randy is an insurance coverage attorney at White & Williams in Philadelphia. He's a 1991 Temple Law graduate and a current adjunct professor teaching insurance law. Randy was named 2020's Insurance Lawyer of the Year for the City of Philadelphia by Best Lawyers. Randy is the co-author of General Liability Insurance Coverage, Key Issues in Every State, which is a 1,000-page insurance coverage desk reference book. He also publishes Coverage Opinions, a free monthly insurance coverage newsletter with over 20,000 subscribers. His newsletter provides commentary on just-released coverage decisions and looks at the lighter side of the law by showcasing Randy's interviews with some of the nation's most famous lawyers. Randy has interviewed such lawyers as John Grisham, Alan Dershowitz, Gloria Alred, Judge Judy, Scott Turow, Lawrence Tribe, and Judge Richard Posner. He's also interviewed dozens of U.S. senators, governors, and presidential cabinet members. Most recently, Randy interviewed Judge Jed Rakoff of the Southern District of New York. Lastly, in his spare time, Randy performs stand-up comedy, where his stand-up was featured in the Philadelphia Lawyer magazine in 2018. It is my privilege to welcome to the show, Randy Maniloff. Hey, Randy. Hey, John, how you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you doing? Good. Hop right into this whenever Yeah, let's jump right into it. Yep. Um, Yep, cool. Randy, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, you know, kind of where you're from and how you decided to go to law school to become an attorney and and things like that? Sure. Um, I'm I'm a local
1: guy, uh, for sure. Uh, Everything about me is is Philadelphia. Uh, I'm just born and raised here, product of the Philadelphia public school system, Penn State University, Temple University School of Law, and oh, been practicing too. here for many, many years. Yes, I, I know that I'm very – that's why I'm doing this, John. I'm happy to help out a a conscientious Temple Law student. I would never say no to a request from, from someone like that. So um, I'm an insurance coverage lawyer, and um, – it's a insurance law is a very, very broad term. It encompasses many, many, many things. and um, but it, there's a lot of specialties within insurance law, and one of them is coverage, which is um, representing I, I represent insurance companies in assisting them with their um, with their coverage disputes on property and casualty claims, basically, um, where a company gets sued for causing injury or damage to somebody else. The company that's the defendant in that case, they usually turn to their insurance company for um, for coverage, for a defense, you know, for hiring a lawyer, and, and those are the kinds of claims that I handle. Let's consider the property casualty side of the side of the business, and I represent insurance companies. Um, it, it's the kind of field where, for the most part, especially in the bigger firms, you have to decide which side you want to be on. You know, do you want to represent policyholders and and sue? Um, insurance companies, or do you want to represent insurance companies? It's very, very difficult to, to do both. I mean, a smaller firm can pull it off, maybe a smaller firm in a very, very remote area where there aren't a lot of lawyers. So you don't have the flexibility to uh, to only be on one side. But in the bigger firms, in the bigger cities, you have to decide which side you want to be on, because conflicts and, and whatnot would prevent you from being on both sides.
0: So when you were finishing up law school, was insurance coverage practice sort of you know, where you saw yourself going or kind of how did you end up in this practice?
1: Well, it's funny. Yeah, um, no, I I think a lot of people um, decide what kind of lawyer they're going to be because it's where they get their first job. And then after a few years, that's all they know. Um, I went, I graduated law school in 91 and I went to work for a court of common pleas judge. And um, I did that for a year. It was a one year clerkship. And then I moved to Spain, um, southern Spain for for four years to work for an wow. insurance company yeah it was it was a neat experience to work for an insurance company in Gibraltar which is a in, insanely small two and a half square mile um, country um, right on the Mediterranean the, uh, it's not, right on the Mediterranean yeah it's, it's so south it's so southern Europe it actually has the most southern point in Europe is there on a clear day you could see Morocco you could see Tangier um, you could you know so that, that's how south it was and I went there for four years, and I I worked in Gibraltar, um, which is this little British colony, and then I lived on the other side of the border in Spain because it was, it was a lot nicer there, and it was right on the beach. And um, you know, it was interesting. You you lived in one country and you worked in another country, and you used one kind of currency. Um, and you decided kind of to come back
0: to Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, you know, when when you do something like that, you have to decide: if, do you want to live there forever, or is it just an experience where you? where you where you learn things. And if you don't want to live there forever, then at some point, the the experience of living in a foreign country or doing something so unique, it has diminishing marginal returns. So, you know, at some point, it's, it's no longer this experience anymore. You've kind of done it. So once you get that, and once you decide you don't want to live there forever, then it's time to come back. And that's what happened with me after about four years or so.
0: All right. So then you came back to Philadelphia. And is that kind of around the time that you picked up teaching here at temple law also or kind of how did that happen no no i
1: no that was a long long that was a long time ago i came back and um you know when i you mentioned about you know how you got your first job or how you got into insurance i um you know i was working for an insurance company over there so when i came back here and i needed a job you know that's what i knew and at least that's what i had some experience in so i got a job with the firm doing insurance coverage work and i was there for seven years and then 16 years ago i came to uh came to white and Williams to do to do the same thing insurance coverage work and I started teaching at temple Law School insurance law about f- three years ago I've done it okay. for three semesters yeah. so far three, three years I've done it for the spring semester for the last three years but not not counting this year I'm going to teach I'm going to teach insurance law in the fall um, and you told me that I can I can sell my class to,
0: to all to the law lessons. students. So, um, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Look, the pitch is that, um, the pitch is that, that tort law gets a lot of attention. It's a very, you know, glamorous class. It's in the first year and it's in the big, big room down, on that you know, down the big lecture hall and whatnot. Yeah. And it's on yeah. the bar and, and it's, the cases are interesting, you know, it's cause they usually have good fact yeah. patterns and stuff. And and tort law, you know, you spend a semester figuring out if there's been duty, breach, proximate cause, and damages. And if so, then the plaintiff can recover from the defendant. But where tort law comes up really short is that it doesn't tell you where the money comes from to satisfy that judgment. So you have this judgment against the defendant. The plaintiff's been injured. They have a judgment against the defendant. But where's the money coming from? You know, for the most part, unless you get the judgment against some big company, um, for the most part, you know, they're not going to be able to satisfy that judgment. So you have this piece of paper. The plaintiff has a piece of paper which says that the defendant owes the money, but they're just not going to have it to pay. So that's where insurance law comes in, and that's where liability insurance comes in, which is you know what I mentioned is what I do. So the tort law is really the first step. In a tort case, the second step is where's the money coming from, and that's what I teach. I teach insurance coverage, liability coverage, and I'd like to think of it as like torts two. You know, Um, of course, if they called it torts two, it would be the most popular class in the school, and I would need one of those big, big rooms, you know, um, one of those big lecture halls. But um, but that's really what it is. I mean, I, I sell it as torts two. But I can't call it that, so that certainly, yeah. you know, I don't have as many people. But, but that's what it is. It's a continuation of torts. It's where torts leaves off, and it's the where does the money come from. You know, I say to the students every class, I say, you know, this is where the money comes from. You know, if, if as important as torts is as a class, if, if there were no insurance coverage, liability coverage to pay those judgments and settlements and whatnot, your torts book would be a pamphlet. I mean, I mean that's just what it comes down to. Insurance is the driver. Liability insurance is the driver of tort law, for sure. And and that's what I teach. And it's very unique in the sense that most insurance law classes are um, are a survey. You know, a little bit of workers' comp, a little bit of life insurance, property insurance, you know, regulatory stuff. And, and I don't teach that. Mine's. I don't know of another class law school in the country that teaches insurance law the way I do, which is focusing on this torts to angle of where does the money come from? And that's, you know, that's what I believe makes it really practical. I mean, students always want to hear, you know, students always say they want practical courses. And I think that's just, you know, where does the money come from for the legal profession is about as practical as it gets. So that's, and I'm very grateful to the, to uh, temple for giving me that opportunity to do it. Um, you know, both letting, letting me teach and to letting me, um, teach it in this sort of unique way, you know, I I sold them on this idea. And, you know, it was a unique class, I'd never taught anything. So they they took a chance on me. And I'm very, I'm very grateful for that opportunity that the school gave me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was it was some of your students that even recommended that you come onto this podcast. So obviously, they're loving the class. And it sounds pretty interesting. So I imagine that afterwards, maybe you'll need one of those big lecture halls for the fall semester and <laughs> forward.
1: I hope so. I hope so. It's like, you know, you're going to need a bigger lecture hall. Isn't that a line in a famous movie once? You're going to need a bigger lecture hall. I think so. So, um,
0: yeah, so another, yeah. Another so. question for you, Randy. Um, what are the things that you kind of find most rewarding and the most challenging, both about, you know, teaching this course and, you know, in your, cover- in your practice generally?
1: Uh, yeah, in teaching the course, I mean, the rewarding part is, is that students generally come in with sort of a, a low expectation about insurance law because it just doesn't sound that interesting. You know, it sounds really boring. You know, Insurance policies, you know, think about them as it's just incredibly, incredibly dull and dry documents and, you know, just a bunch of boilerplate and stuff. So the students generally come in thinking that um, it's going to be deadly dull. And it's, and, and it's not that hard for me to show them immediately – that it's not, you know, well, one thing that is, uh, by definition, insurance law cases involve oftentimes involve people doing really stupid things because that's why they need insurance because something went wrong. You know what I mean? If you, if, if you walk the straight and narrow and, and, and do nothing, you know, um, and do nothing wrong, then there's never an insurance claim. So by definition, when people do, um, by definition when there's an insurance claim it's because something didn't go the way it was planned so the cases are really interesting they involve all kinds of just crazy things that people do and, and mistakes that they make so my the most satisfying thing is is to see them really take an appreciate have an appreciation for insurance both that it is what i said it was which is the continuation of torts as to where the money comes from and um and it is actually way more interesting than they think it's going to be um You know, it's easy for me, this is all I know, this is all I do, so it's easy for me to say it's interesting, but to convince people otherwise is is very, very satisfying. Satisfying. The challenge, I guess, is juggling it with my practice, for sure, you know, I have a busy legal practice and whatnot, so, you know, spending the weekends preparing for class and, you know, and, and Mondays, you know, I teach Monday at 10, so pretty much, you know, the whole Monday morning is shot And then, um, you know, then Monday afternoon, I'm sometimes exhausted. So, but that's the challenge. You know, I love doing it. I'm not at all complaining about it. It's been an absolute dream opportunity, but that's probably, you know, the biggest challenge is just juggling it. Um,
0: Yeah, no. So switching gears a little bit, um, you're also a publisher and writer for your own newsletter that also focuses on insurance coverage, the coverage opinions. Tell me a little bit mm -hmm. about that, you know, how you got started in it and kind of your vision and, and what you're doing with it right now.
1: Yeah, uh sure. It's, um, you know, I love to write. I, I write, um, I've written, always written a lot of articles and whatnot. It's been a very effective marketing tool for me as far as generating, you know, d- developing a practice and, you know, getting my quote, getting my name out there and, and you know, generating a, a law practice and generating business, which is something that, you know, young lawyers don't think about, which is, you know, rightly so. It's not, they're busy enough kind of, you know, cutting their teeth and, and, and learning what they're doing. So they're not really focused on marketing and their firm at that young age is not expecting them to be. But I, I always like to do that, and I studied marketing in college. So, um, so I started this newsletter about eight years ago, and I you know, try to um, focus on um, you know, recent decisions in insurance coverage that are important, that are influential, that teach a lesson for people. And I you know, try to look at the lighter side of the law. You know, as serious as the law is, there's also a lot of things that you would say are on the lighter side. And then I like to interview people. Um, yeah. Interview interesting lawyers and and whatnot, and I can tell you a little bit more about that. But um, so that I started it about eight years ago, and I have over twenty thousand subscribers. And um, you know, it's free. It comes out monthly or so, or maybe every five or six weeks, depending upon you know how busy I am and and whatnot. But it certainly comes out, you know, at least ten to twelve times a year. I, I try for twelve. This past year, I, I think I did ten this past year because of the whole pandemic thing and a couple other things. But anyway, so it's it's a lot of fun and and, and um, it's time consuming, but it's been effective and in, in because I enjoy it. And it's personally satisfying and it's been effective in you know helping me to develop a, a legal practice um, and,
0: and yeah. So I, I mean, your interviews are pretty exciting. I'm I, I definitely want to hear, and I'm sure the listeners want to hear about some of these people that you've interviewed. You know, names including John Grisham, Alan Dershowitz. Uh, Judge Judy, sure. Posner, you know, tell me a little bit about how you know this interview process yeah. goes, how you pick these people, and you know, sure, 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 sounds interesting.
1: Yeah, well, I started out um, when I did the newsletter. When I started out doing the newsletter. It was an insurance newsletter, so I said, "Well, I'm going to interview insurance lawyers." I mean, that's the that's the logical thing to do. And I started out; it was no problem. They were very kind to me, getting you know the biggest names in insurance coverage, you know, to let me interview them. And I sent them Q and As, written Q and As, and After about six of these or so, uh, it occurred to me that everyone was telling me the same story, which was basically, you know, I'm a successful insurance lawyer. I've handled this big case, that big case, this other big case, and, you know, this is what I do, and and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not diminishing or minimizing what they were doing, but if you're interviewing somebody, you know, you want to tell a story. You know, I don't have to tell you that. You know, you want your readers, listeners to be... You know, to find something compelling and, and telling the same story every month was just not compelling. So I decided, you know what, it's an insurance newsletter, but I'll interview people that have, if, even if they have nothing to do with insurance and maybe that'll expand the readership because it's not just tied to insurance. So I reached out to, um, a, a man named Alan Page. And I've always thought Alan Page was the most unique lawyer in America because he played, he was a, um, he played for the Minnesota Vikings for many, many years. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Sporting News has him as you know, the 35th greatest NFL player of all time. And then he was a, a justice for many, many years on the Minnesota Supreme Court. So I was always fascinated that Page could be you know, at the top, the absolute top of two completely distinct professions. And I reached out to him and asked if I could interview him for this newsletter. And he was still on the court. He subsequently retired um, there's a mandatory retirement age in Minnesota for judges, so he retired. But anyway, he was still in the court, and um, he let me interview him, and and we did it by phone. He said he didn't have time to write answers, so we did it by phone. And, and two things happened um, from that page interview. One, I realized it's a lot more fun to interview people about things other than insurance. And two, I learned that if you're going to interview people effectively, you have to do it. On the phone or in person because you you just you get the follow-ups and you get the segues and all the things that you can't get on a written Q&A where the person tells you what they're going to tell you and and that's it so those were the two lessons I learned from Alan Page and then I just started reaching out to all kinds of people you know I got Dershowitz to talk to me I got George Posner and and, uh, tons and tons of um, U.S. senators and governors and presidential cabinet uh, members and you know, I got Scott Turo um, to, inter- to talk to me about One L, his phenomenal book, as well as his another book that he had out. But we talked about One L on the 40th anniversary of One L, which was really neat. And um, you know, I interviewed Professor Arthur Miller. I went to see him in New York, and he talked about you know his whole civil procedure treatise, his famous civil procedure treatise, and just all kinds of different people. Um, Do you have a favorite interview I'm, amongst all of them? Um, I guess probably John Grisham, just because I had breakfast with him in New York. That was pretty neat. I just did the Judge Judy interview, which was which was really exciting because she doesn't give very many interviews, um, and that was that was kind of neat. And I think what what sold her was that you know she has this life. You know, she's been Judge Judy for 25 years. It shows in its 25th year, but she was a quote real judge. You know, in New York in the family court system for many years before Judge Judy.
0: Yeah, it was was your interview that let me know that. I definitely thought she was just a TV judge.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people think that, but she was a a very, very um, active family court judge, active in the sense that she was very outspoken about problems that she saw in the system, in the family court system. And that led to her being um, in in a 60 Minutes piece and um, morally safer, probably before your time, but 60 Minutes did a, a piece about her and she allowed cameras in her courtroom, so people saw just how animated and how angry she was at the system and how harsh she was and how serious she took it. And they saw the Judge Judy personality in the family court system, and that's when you know it came to the attention of Hollywood. And, and that 60 Minutes piece is what led to um, when people actually saw her, saw what she was like on the bench and how how just, you know, how hard she was working to make the system right, even though the family court system was so flawed. That's how she landed the Judge Judy gig, you know, and the rest is history. So that was a neat interview. Um, you know, just like I said, I, I just thought a lot of, I, I, I try to interview people, lawyers, I always interview lawyers, but I really like to interview lawyers who didn't practice law, you know, who did yeah. something else. And that's where a lot of politicians come into, so a lot of politicians didn't always pra- practice traditional law. Or, you know, sports people, I've interviewed sports people who are lawyers and whatnot. So it's a
0: lot of what fun. What's you your white whale of interviews? Like who's, who's the person that you wish you can interview, you know, dead or alive, like lawyer that you really would, would like to have gotten on to interview? Yeah, that's a good question.
1: I, I guess I'd like to interview um, Obama, pre, former President Obama, just because, you know, he um, you know he, being a lawyer was an important part of his background. I haven't given up on it. I've reached out to his office a couple of times and they haven't said absolutely no, but I'm not, you know, super, <laughs> super convinced, yeah. but, um, well, he but, might yeah, be that a listener, so be.
0: maybe he'll come up.
1: Yeah, I, I, I hope so. I, I hope so. So, plus, you know, he taught law school and, um, and whatnot. I talked to, I interviewed Lawrence tribe and I, um, I asked him about, you know, having a, was Obama was a research assistant for, yeah. for tribe at Harvard. So I interviewed Scaramucci with uh, Anthony Scaramucci, which was, Really neat. I mean, you haven't lived that you spent 45 minutes sitting okay, across right, the table right. from, from the Mooch in his office in New York. That was, I mean, he didn't sit still. He had two cell phones going. He was texting. He was taking calls. People were coming in to ask him questions and stuff. It was, it was a lot of fun, but he was, That sounds like exactly a, what
0: I imagined the Mooch interview would be like.
1: It's exactly what it was, what the Mooch interview was like. Exactly. He was all over the place, but um, but he's a classic guy who didn't practice law. You know, he, um, he went to law school and then never practiced law and he got involved in, you know, and I think it was Goldman Sachs he went to and got involved with finance and he's never, you know, he never practiced law. So he's like my classic kind of interview because he's a lawyer who did something really unique with his law degree. So that was, um, that was a lot of fun. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, also so I've been doing
1: them now for the ABA journal, which has been great. You know, I still do them for my newsletter, Yeah, but for the past few years, um, I started doing them for Law 360, for Law.com, and the ABA Journal. Most recently, for the last year, I've done about six or so, or six or seven, whatever, for the ABA Journal, and that's been really neat. And it's you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say that it's easier to convince people to talk to you if you're doing it for the ABA Journal than for. As much as I love my newsletter, you know, it's still just an insurance law newsletter. So, yeah, um, it, it's a lot easier to get people to talk to you. I think when, when I could tell them that they're going to be speaking to the you know the ABA Journal audience and whatnot.
0: So beyond your your law practice and and this insurance coverage newsletter that's you know obviously doing great, um, you have a fun little hobby and I wanted to hear a little bit about that. Uh, you're also in standup here in Philadelphia. You're even featured in the Philadelphia Lawyer Magazine for your standup. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? How you got into it and and what that's like?
1: Yeah, sh- sure. Um... You know, uh, you know, everyone thinks they're funny and and whatnot, and and, but I always used to, uh, you know, write these jokes in my head, you know, and, um, you know, just for whatever reason, you know, just sort of say, oh, you know, I could, this would be a really funny joke, and I would sort of, write this joke and tell it in my head, and I don't know about, I guess it was about eight eight years ago or so, I don't know what happened. I just decided, you know what, why don't I try this? You know, I why don't I, get up on stage, take these jokes, you know, kind of put them into an organized form, you know, write them down and practice them and all that stuff. And, um, helium comedy club over on 21st and Samson here in town. Yeah. They, um, they had this open mic night. I think it was on Monday nights. They had open mic night and you signed up and you went up, you went up on stage and you got three minutes and I just decided I'm going to do it. You know, and I, I was never so scared in my entire life. Um, you could have taken my shirt and like wrung it out. Like the sweat would have just like dripped out of it. But I got up on stage and, You know, and it didn't, I didn't bomb, you know, I got a few jokes, I got a few laughs and a few of my jokes worked and I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. So I took a class. It really helps to take a class and helium offered, you know, beginner stand-up comedy classes. So I did that and, um, I really liked it. And, and, you know, I was writing more and more jokes and kind of like, you know, developing a, a, you know, a persona style uh, as a comedian. And then I won the John DeBella stand-up contest. John DeBella is an old, old, been around a very long time DJ here in Philly, and um, he had a, a stand-up contest with WMGK 1029. and yeah. and I won that, and and, um, and it was really cool. And so that at least that, I mean, you know, that gave me like at least a little bit of credibility that you know I had something. So um, that was really neat, and I got to open for Sebastian Maniscalco as a result oh, wow. of that was one of the prizes. And this was bef- this, I mean, Sebastian's a huge comic now, but this was eight years ago when he was famous and he was doing very well, but he, he wasn't selling out arenas yeah, like he is now. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I was really cool. I hung out with him in the green room and helium and I did five minutes, um, before he went on. Um, so that's it. I mean, I, it's just a hobby, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm not quitting my day job by any, by any stretch, but it's a unique hobby. And, um, did what I really like the, about it you is do that your stand up informs
0: your, your practice or, you know, helps out in, in your legal career in any kind of way.
1: Um, it, it helps out in the sense that it's unique so when I do webinars I do a lot of webinars so I would like promote the webinars you know like take a webinar take your webinar from a stand-up comic and I would have pictures of me doing comedy at like all kinds of clubs around the country where I've had the chance to perform so I would do that so it, it in that way and then the newsletter I use a lot of humor in the newsletter and the newsletter has a stand-up comedy column every month right try to do something funny about the law or about insurance. So it's informed it in that way, um, but certainly, you know, not, you know, not telling jokes, obviously, in when I'm writing opinion letters, but, so but it definitely has, there has been overlap in terms of, of, you know, using it to promote webinars and using it in my newsletter. So in that way, um, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I, people don't believe me when I say this, but th- there is um, a, a really ser- a strong comparison or some similarity, I should say, between, you know, stand-up comedy and, and an insurance law, or even just a lot of laws, the law in a lot of ways, which is it's the nuance and the precision in language. Um, yeah. You know, insurance policies, you know, insurance disputes are won and lost based upon the most fine point distinctions in, in policy language. You know, you know, the word the can make a difference over the word any or an. I mean, the millions of dollars can change hands based upon whether or not the word "the" versus "any," and that's the same way in contracts and all kinds of documents that are so so minutiated And it's the same way in comedy. Um, you know, you could tell a joke that absolutely bombs, and then you could change one word or one intonation or one pause, something that minor, and the joke goes from just being a flop to really really working. Um, so, in that way, you know, it, there is a lot of similarity in the in the importance of language and the precision of language between doing comedy and you know, and, and documents and, and writing contracts and things like that.
0: So, if you never entered the legal profession, you think you'd be a full time stand up comedian?
1: No, I, I, I doubt it. I I, I do believe. Um, I, I do. And my stand up coach that I worked with for a long time, he he thought that I, I could have made it if I had the if I'd started a lot younger, you know, and yeah. and and didn't you know and 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 worked at it full time. And if I'd been one of those kids you know, age 21 or so, who moved to New York and, you know, just, you know, tried to get by, you know, with odd jobs and, you know, waiting tables and stuff. And then, you know, went and did like five open mics and a night and sat in an apartment and just wrote, wrote, wrote and got on stage and all that, did all the things that it takes to become a real stand-up comic. I think I I maybe could have made it, you know what I mean? I really do. But obviously that horse is, that horse has left the barn. What would you have
0: been if you never became a lawyer?
1: You know I never thought about that because I mean I really I went to college you know um you know with the intent of being a lawyer there's no okay. question about that I mean that was my goal when I started school and you know even college so I don't I don't know I never I never thought about uh, another another choice you know and that's this is all I know and and um insurance law I'm just a one trick pony you know I'm an insurance lawyer and yeah. insurance coverage lawyer and that's that's what I know and and there's something to be said about that um you know, as far as you know, when you're going to start practicing, it, it is important to to really, really focus on, on on a narrow area of the law. You know, you, you just it's so competitive. The law is so com- legal profession is so competitive, and you know, clients are being asked to pay these high rates. You know, and they want something in return for that, and that something is real, real expertise in a in in an area of the law. So, I, I you know, it's it, it's not enough just to be a specialist. You have to be a specialist, I think, and then within that specialty find something else even more specialized to become an expert on you know that's my advice to uh the young lawyers is to really really make yourself an expert in something you know what i mean you're yeah. a tax lawyer that's a specialty but then within that make yourself an expert on some you know on on you know become the most knowledgeable person in america on section 672 of the tax code you know yeah. i don't Full disclosure, I have no idea if there is a 672 of the tax code, or what 672 so, even says. I have no idea, and then I bet there isn't even a 672. But if there were, my advice would be to become an expert on on uh, section 672 of the tax code. Really become the go to person, you know, on that issue. So this way, you know, you are the you are you know the, the the guru on section 672. And I think you could say that about every you know every kind of specialty has a subspecialty within it, and that would be my you know, I tell my students that, and that's what I'm...
0: How would you advise you know, going about finding those very, very hyper-niche specific things from, you know, they don't they don't teach those really niche places in law school. So how would you go about finding yeah, them? I,
1: yeah, I think you'll develop them in your practice. I'll, I think you'll see them coming up in your practice. You know, when you become, the, use the tax lawyer example again, you know, when you're practicing tax law, you're going to see, I think, the places where... Where where the real real niche comes up and and where there's maybe there aren't any experts you know and and whatnot and there's you know you, you want to pick something that's a specialty maybe not hyper specialized because you want people to actually have the have the need to hire you to help them with it but you know you just I think you'll I think you'll figure it out you know and your it'll just it'll come to you when you're when you're practicing as to what that hyper specialty is and then you can kind of and also it'll help to, if you find it really interesting you know within insurance coverage law. You know, I, I have to play the hand I'm dealt in terms of you know clients send me cases and even to help them with this with this issue or that issue. Um, but obviously, that doesn't mean that every issue to me is 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 equally interesting. So, you know, you, when you're you'll find issues in your practice that you find more interesting than others. So, probably you know it helps to choose one of those issues that you find really interesting because that'll you know make you even more interested in in wanting to become an expert on it
0: awesome well thank you very much i always like to close out with a little piece of advice and and that was particularly helpful um so thank you very much for coming on the the ten q and a um it was a really great conversation um is there any you know final words that you might have for all of our listeners
1: no no just um i mean I, well of course that they should all be signing up for insurance law i mean that's the I mean that's the the obvious you know final final thing I want to say but but seriously I I do believe it's it's a fun class I make it fun you know I I keep it lively you know I'm, I'm not um, you know I, I I um I guess you know as a, having been a law student you know I I you know you you say to yourself you know if I'm ever a professor I'm not going to do it this way and I'm not going to be you know I'm not going to be this kind of a professor so it's nice I I I get to be the professor that I always wanted. Um, wanted to have in that sense. So I think I'm a pretty good at it. I'm still cutting my teeth. and I'm still learning some things and whatnot, but I, you know, um, I, I keep it lively and I, I and I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, I don't bother people. And I don't think the, the, um, the reading is too onerous. So, but yeah. I, but I, but on a serious note, I, I do believe that, that it's a really practical course because it involves where the money comes from. And that's what this business
0: is all about. Yeah. Well, we'll be sure to make sure that the course registration number is in the notes so that everybody can, you know, sign up for a registration. Time. <laughs> for sure. And for also sure. the coverage Absolutely. opinion so that, you know, you can pump up some of your subscribers and readers because it's, it's very interesting. Yep. I definitely enjoyed reading it to prepare for this. Yeah, so. thank you. I,
1: I appreciate that. And all the best with your with your podcast. As I said, I mean, I, I certainly can't turn down um, a request from a Temple Law student who wants to interview me when I have spent the last eight years trying to get people to let me interview them so it was an easy uh it was an easy decision so yeah it was a great interview thank you so
0: much i really appreciate it sure Sure. have a great rest of your day you too bye-bye